Color your life. Hey everyone. So I know it's been like a while since I've recorded a podcast. I was finished in high school and that was um <laughs> but 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 it's done now. I'm finished with high school. And I have more time and more flexibility to record my podcast. After this episode, I'm going to go back to my original release schedule, which was every Friday. So, yeah, cheers to that. (sighs) I hope everyone has been keeping good doing well, taking care of themselves, staying safe, and all the good stuff, all the good stuff. And I hope that today, or whatever day today is when you're listening to this, is an epic day. So, today is August the 1st, and in the British Caribbean, this day is a big deal. It's a big deal because it was a significant step in the right direction, but it's also a big deal because it's shrouded by a lot of conspiracy and different beliefs. Can you guess what today is? I'm going to give you five seconds. One, a two, a three, a four, and a five. <laughs> Well, today is Emancipation Day in the British Caribbean. And this basically was the day that the enslaved population, sorry, the enslaved (laughs) population, got their slavery from Britain. So on August the 5th, 1934, in the British Caribbean, the enslaved African population got their freedom. I don't know what accent that was that I was doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's when we got our freedom. And like I said, it was a day shrouded by a lot of different emotions. Because on one hand, the enslaved Africans were hyped. I mean, hundreds of years of suffering, of torture, of being kidnapped from your homeland and brought here to the Caribbean. And even though that ended in 1807, there was still a lot of illegal slave trafficking. And then what happened is that the plantations needed to be sustained by natural increase, which led to breeding farms and men being used studs and women having to get pregnant all the time and it was just another epic disaster waiting to happen and so it was a good day in that regard you know the sun rose that morning and you could feel the rumbling and the excitement and the hope for a better life and a better future amongst the enslaved populations but as you know, everything comes with a catch. So let me tell you the catch, right? The catch was for the next eight years, they had to work under the amelioration or apprenticeship system. 
Oh crap, guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it wasn't for the next eight years. It was for the next four years and for the next six years. If you were a non-prideal slave, so that means that you worked inside of the houses, like a domestic slave, it was four years. If you were a prideal slave, which meant that you worked on the fields, the plantations, it was six years. But um, thank goodness, though, um, they brought apprenticeship to an end four years later in 1938 for all of the slaves because the whole system was a big-ass flop. Let me tell you why. The working hours were supposed to be between six hours a day, but the white man didn't really understand the fact that the black people weren't their slaves anymore, and just basically worked them for the same 12 hours a day, 14 and a half hours a week of slavery. They weren't getting paid, even though they were supposed to be paid like the teensiest little stipend, like ever, but like, that didn't happen. You know, they were basically subjugated to the same kinds of torture of slavery, although stuff like whipping and mutilation and all that were banned and made illegal. You know, and then plant of them were still doing it only down low, and they were like magistrates that they brought from England to oversee the plantations. But, you know, once that rich white man gave them a little bit of money, it was like, look the other way, look the other way, oop, oop, oop. So it was basically just slavery all over again. And a lot of the Africans, you know, they're like, why have this ever? I'm not taking this. And they left the plantations, but that in itself was also a whole other issue because the majority of the land was owned by the white planter class. And if you were just there out on the streets, they passed vagrancy laws, which prevented black people from basically living on an abandoned parcel of land that nobody was using and it really wouldn't have done anything to anyone so what started to happen was that the peasant tree class so peasant tree peasant tree class which referred to the enslaved africans that left the plantations after emancipation right they formed the peasantry class and basically they began to occupy the lowest economic strata of society but they did a lot of economic activities in order to make a living for themselves. Some of these economic activities include huckstering. So huckstering was predominantly done by former enslaved females, where basically you have your small provision ground where you would grow stuff like plantain and cassava and sweet potato and banana and even sugarcane. And you would cut it to sell, right? And you would have a huge barrel on your head and you would walk through the towns, walk through the villages, and you would sell via that way. So that was huckstering. 
um, men, they would be the ones who are working the land, working the fields, and basically the peasantry class actually managed to single-handedly diversify the Caribbean economy because prior to the peasantry era, we engaged in monocrop cultivation, which basically meant our economy was centered around the production of one crop, which was sugar cane, as we don't know. <laughs> and in some instances, you know, the economic activity by some of the peasant class was dynamic enough to have trade between the different British islands. Another thing that is actually characteristic of the peasantry era is mass migration because some territories like Trinidad and Tobago had a lot of land available. So you would see a lot of slaves leaving there to come here, although this migration was not nearly as heavy or as um dynamic as it would be in the 1930s. And um, after that, when we underwent industrialization, my invitation, I discovered oil and all that, it started to happen right here after emancipation. And there were some territories like Antigua that opted for instant emancipation after slavery. So they didn't go through the apprenticeship period. They were just like, uh uh-uh. Nope, 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 nope. They were like, we don't want no white people here anymore. Crap. <laughs> I mean, they were just like, we don't want to stay with the white people here anymore. Um, I kind of just got lost in thoughts for a second there. I was like thinking about me trying to remember if the answer to that question was Antigua or Jamaica in the exam. And I kind of just messed up my phrase in there a second. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And yeah, so emancipation did bring with it some success in terms of the peasants' class being able to diversify the economy, but it also brought many hardships because a lot of Africans were enslaved, sorry, were imprisoned. A lot of Africans were imprisoned because they did not have a place to live, and the vagrancy laws basically prevented Africans from living on unoccupied parcels of land. Because another thing was that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of white planters eventually abandoned their plantations and went back to England because the sugarcane industry was no longer profitable because of the lack of labor and also there was significant competition from sugar that was being produced in India by the British Caribbean as well as beet sugar, which was being produced by France's colonies. So the European markets became oversaturated with sugar and thus the prices fell dramatically. So it really wasn't all that profitable. And then with industrialization and mechanization, you know, refined goods and refined products becoming more and more accessible. So it was really economic suicide. And even if you went to occupy one of those abandoned plantations, jail for your tail. It was really bad. And then, too, what they would do, they would run stuff like susu and buck sand, in which they all put up 
money every month and every month or every fortnight a different person would collect their hand. They made all of that illegal. In fact, it's still illegal to this day in some parts of the Caribbean. So those are some of the um, negative effects of emancipation as well as the indentureship period. But I don't want to touch on that too much because I really want the central focus to be on emancipation and the liberation and the struggles of the African diaspora in the Caribbean. But basically, internship was where they brought in Chinese workers that didn't work out because they were brought in with very, very little quantities and they basically became the shopkeepers of the Caribbean. They brought in Portuguese workers, that didn't work out, you know, they were white, so they didn't want to be too mean to them, and that just meant to them not listening, so they also went to become small business owners in the Caribbean, and then they wanted to bring back the Africans, but at least this time Britain was like, this sounds like slavery all over again, guys. So they brought the Indians and basically subscribed them to a different kind of horror. But let's roll it back a bit and let's get back to emancipation. So something I want to bring attention to, because I mean, in order to understand emancipation on the whole, we need to understand why was the decision to emancipate the slaves made? (sighs) There is no one answer to this question. Many historians would argue that it was a myriad of factors which led to this decision, whereas you have others who stick to their one belief. So we are going to discuss all of the reasons, and I agree that each one of them played their own significant role with the economic reason being, however, the brunt um, factor that led to the decision because we live in a capitalist world, lest not forget that, and at the end of the day, profits, profits will always triumph over everything else. Excuse me, hope you didn't hear that burp too loud, I tried to be all soft and ladylike and dainty. Okay, so I think you should start with the first reason, which would have been the humanitarian or abolitionist movement. There's a beautiful quote that was written by a British poet, and it um was written in conjunction with a, a picture of a black man in chains on his knees and it said, am I not a brother too? And it basically was distributed all over England, because, you know, they had print and press now, so, you know, they could mass produce works of art and stuff like that, and it really did get the ordinary man to reevaluate the ideals and the ideas of slavery, you know, you could Google it, um, am I not a brother too? You'd see it. It really, I remember the first time I saw it, and it did 
um and it it it's ignited a lot of emotions within me there's also um pamphlets written by Thomas Paine I believe oh I hope I'm not mixing up this but this other guy let's do a quick verification Alright, yeah, so it was him. I was right. I don't know why I doubt myself. I always second guess myself because, like, although I don't have a script, before I start the episode, I do make notes of what points I want to touch on, and I just have it there as a guide in order to touch on the points. And then sometimes in like the middle of recording my anxiety is like you're wrong you're not good enough and all those stuff that anxiety likes to do to you and I start to second guess myself and I'm like but you know this you did this you made sure you researched this and all that so it's like what's the big idea you know but anyways yeah so he began writing poetry about the plight of slavery and there's the the last line of my favorite poem by him he said skin may differ but affection lies in black and white the same i mean come on come on come on I used to have the poem recited, but old age, and I couldn't find the version that I wanted on the web, so boo-hoo-hoo. But yeah, so the abolitionist movement, you know, they actually had meetings at the salons, and the bars, and the pubs, and town squares during, sorry, during 1800s um, Britain, and then there was the political wing of the abolitionist movement spearheaded by the Clinton saint William Wilberforce yeah <laughs> William Wilberforce was a British parliamentarian he was a politician and he was also a Clinton saint I just love to say that word like Clinton saint da, 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 da. <laughs> and he was he is to this day be of the British um, emancipation abolitionist movement. They wanted a gradual end to slavery and that is exactly what they fought for. In 1772, I believe, oh shit. Yeah, I'm right. 1772, the Mansfield Judgment was passed. Okay, see what I'm talking about? Like, my mind is like, Adela, you don't know what you're talking about, or Adela, you're not good enough, or like all those things. So, let's go and ease Adela's mind before she goes crazy. I was right! 1772, Mansfield Dutch <laughs> Why do I second guess myself? Why do I dump myself? I know what I'm talking about. I'm in experience. <laughs> Okay, 1772, Mansfield Judgment, which was passed by Judge Mansfield, <laughs> obviously. 
which recognised that slavery was unlawful in Britain. So that meant if you were a slave, once you stepped foot on British soil, you were free. So you could be from Jamaica or from Trinidad and Tobago, even though in dialect it would be Tobago. Um, you were free. And there were actually a lot of nasty ass planters who they would kidnap free slaves from England and take them back to the plantations. Because there was this one slave, he was from Jamaica and he went to Britain with his master. But oh, he's on British soil, so man obviously free. So he's there living his free life. His master kidnaps him and takes him back to Jamaica and there was this lawyer in Britain who found out about the case and he took the slave master to court and he actually won the case for the slave which was like what you know these are interesting times in um history because the abolitionist movement in Britain is very significant because it was the first time in the entire existence of mankind, in particular the era of chattel slavery, that people began to realize that enslavement was wrong. And for those of you who don't know chattel slavery and the slavery that existed before the transatlantic slave trade are two completely different forms of slavery, Chattel slavery, which is what my people, and if you are African, your people, our people, went through, was a total institution in which there would never be any form of freedom, any form of mobility, not for you, not for your children, not for your parents, and you were not seen as a human, you were a commodity, the British Slave laws actually identified slaves as commodities. You could have been used to pay off debt, to pay off property. You were a commodity that would have been um, divided in a divorce. You had no rights. They literally akin you to a piece of furniture. It was disgusting. It really, really was. Because when you look at slave societies that existed before, like if you look at African slave society within African culture, slaves are human beings in ancient Mali, one under the reign of Mansa Musa, one of his court advisors who rose the ranks, who became one of the most powerful men in all of Mali was a former slave, you know, and they had clauses which outlined how you should treat slaves. They said that you cannot humiliate your enemy and slaves are prisoners of war in Africa. The majority of times the slave was a prisoner of war. You can't humiliate the enemy, you can't treat them inhumanely. You know, if they earn their freedom, give it to them. You can't sell their children, you can't sell their husbands, their wives, you cannot, you couldn't, you could not beat a woman. You could not beat a woman. Doesn't matter if she was a slave or not, you could not hit a woman. You know, and they always paint us out to be so barbaric and so 
inhumane and so disgusting when really we weren't it was them all along so it's a big big step in the right direction the whole abolitionist movement um so yeah william wilberforce he was instrumental in the abolition of the slave trade in 1807 you know there's another person dido elizabeth bell who i'm going to make an episode on probably for this week she was a mulatto from the caribbean and her father brought her to england to stay with them and she was actually the niece of lord mansfield and it's speculated that lord mansfield having a mulatto niece actually heavily influenced the mansfield judgment in 1772 uh, dido she was so gorgeous like I remember the first time I saw a photo of her and I was like, huh? How is one person so pretty? Like, wow. <laughs> so yeah. So the abolition of the slave trade in 1807, spearheaded by William Wilberforce. You know, that was also a significant step in the right direction. And then there was the Amelioration Act of 1823. Amelioration, which, you know, it means to alleviate one's circumstances, basically was aimed at making slavery more, quote-unquote, bearable. So, essentially, all slaves had to be Christianized and attend Mass on a Sunday. And even though for those of us who don't subscribe to Christian beliefs, like myself, um, it was still a good thing in the sense that a lot of enslaved Africans attained education in this regard and in the case of the Jamaica Christmas Rebellion of 18. 31, the leader of that rebellion, he was a religious man and he attained his educational qualities and his leadership qualities from going to church and being heavily involved in church. His name was Samuel Sharp. So, yeah. Um, they also had to be fed sufficiently. You would think that that would have been something that would have been mandated all along, right? (laughs) No. They were also um, prohibited from separating families, which was another thing that should have been mandatory all along, but nope. So, yeah, that was amelioration, which was aimed at alleviating slavery. But again, a lot of the white planter class so like and uh, now uh, uh, uh. also in 1815 an act was passed the registration act of 1815 which mandated that all slaves be registered and that was aimed at stamping out the illegal slave trade that was still going on in the British Caribbean. And the white planter class were like nope 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 and the Africans actually thought that the planter class was um, withholding their freedom from them because that is what they thought the act meant. And that led to the 1816 Busa Rebellion in Barbados and the plantation of Busa during the month of April. <laughs> so, yes, amelioration, sorry, 
um, emancipation was not something that happened overnight. It was very gradual. And definitely humanitarian concerns had a lot to play. Then there were religious concerns. The Baptists and the Methodists especially, those two religions heavily advocated against the enslavement of Africans. There were a lot of Baptist missionaries and Methodist missionaries in the Caribbean during the late 1700s, early 1800s, and they really empowered the slaves in Jamaica. Reverends were actually instrumental in helping the slaves with their revolts and stuff, and in fact, people like Reverend um, Reverend, his name literally just slipped my mind. <laughs> um, there was a massacre of reverends in Jamaica because of the Samuel Sharp Rebellion, and that really angered the Baptists and the Methodists back home in Britain because they're like, the white Panther class is out of control, and they would do anything, including murdering our own people to protect their slave society. You know, that really, really, really sparked rage and outrage within the ordinary white man back home in Britain. So you see how they were shooting themselves in the foot? And, you know, the whole doctrine of the Bible and the doctrine of Christ is one of kindness. It's one of equity. It's one of fairness, which these... Uh, missionaries came to preach and the Africans began to adopt this doctrine and they were like, so now we have the same religion. They can't be telling us that we're barbaric and all that. And we're reading the same doctrine we subscribe to and we see a doctrine of love, a doctrine of kindness. So why are you enslaving us? You know, so that was like a really big deal as well. You know, a really, really big deal. So, again, the planters began to realise that their days were numbered, the goose were cooked, and, you know, stuff just, like, continued to go downhill. Because then we have the good old Haitian Revolution. And the Haitian Revolution really served as an example that um, resistance to enslavement could be successful and after the Haitian Revolution, enslaved revolts all over the Caribbean, they just increased. And because of that, the slave masters actually began to give people more inhumane punishment. So slaves were literally just all around fed up, right? So those are two arguments we just covered. The humanitarian reasons, the religious reasons, reasons, reasons. So now let's get into my favorite decline thesis by Dr. Eric Williams, which was implemented in capitalism and slavery, published 1944. Dr. Eric Williams was the first Prime Minister of Trinidad and Tobago in 1952 after we won our independence. He's also a genius. <laughs> so the decline thesis was actually the very first time X 
economic reasons were given for the emancipation of the slaves in the British Caribbean, and it is simply brilliant. Brilliant. So he basically said um, slavery was abolished because slavery was no longer profitable, and he's 100% correct. So let's rewind, wind. Rewind, wind. Lynn Manuel Miranda, please don't copyright me for using your song. Um, yes, yeah, so slavery was no longer profitable. So you guys remember when I told you about industrialization in Britain, right? So a couple hundred years ago, like 200 years ago, 100 years ago, um, before emancipation, the British slave trade funded the Industrial Revolution in Britain, all right? And basically, that led to the rapid mechanization of the British economy, which led to a diversification of the economy, and which essentially led to investments being made in manufacturing instead of the colonies in the Caribbean. So that is loss of profitability number one. Number two is with the industrialization and mechanization came the birth of the capitalist class in Britain, who were different to that of the plantocracy, which consisted of the white planter class. And slavery did not protect their economic interests because the British workers couldn't buy up all of the goods that were produced, and they believed if the enslaved were freed, they would have an even bigger market to sell their products to, as well as less competition, am I right? So, in Parliament, they actually pushed for abolition. Prior to the birth of the capitalist class, the Parliament basically gave the pantocracy all they wanted because they sustained the economy. But now, with the capitalist class bringing in more revenue and more income than the plantocracy, guess whose asses the politicians decided to lick? If you said the capitalist, you are right! So yeah, there was that. Then, there was also the fact that the American Revolution of 1776, New York City... Sorry, it's hard to say that. The American Revolution of the 17... Wait, wait, guys, see what I mean? Like, my head just starts to, like, dot myself for no reason. And it's like, what are you doing, Adela? What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah? The American Revolution. Yep, I was right. 1775 to 1783. And anyways, let me get back to my um, head. Right. <clears throat> so the American Revolution, which began in 1776, which is the reason why I'm saying 1776 was because it was from 1776 that Britain and America really began to part ways, right? So that's why I highlighted the year 1776 in particular, because in that year, the um, Americans no longer really, really, really identified themselves as British and, you know, fighting and war and all that. And the Caribbean planters usually got all of the food they fed the enslaved 
from America. We here in the Caribbean, we gave them rum and molasses, which was the byproduct of the sugarcane industry, in exchange for pigtail and saltfish and stuff that white people didn't really want to eat. But there was an end to that in 1776, which meant that the white class now had to put out money to feed the slaves. And if you guessed that they did not put out money to feed the slaves, you are correct. And a lot of slaves started to die from malnutrition. And the upkeep for expenses on the whole on the plantation began to skyrocket because even stuff like lumber and metal and all that, which they would have gotten from America for cheap, they no longer had access to. So, yeah, and then Americans began looting British ships that crossed the Atlantic, so the colonies here lost a lot of shipments. So, again, slavery was no longer profitable. And if you remember earlier on, I hinted at the fact that, um, the sugarcane markets began to become overly saturated because of sugar being produced in Britain and beet sugar from France. So there was just like a shit ton of sugar on the market, so the price dropped because of the surplus. And again, it was just not profitable. So, and also production significantly decreased because of the rise in malnutrition and then natural increase could have never sustained the population the way that the slave trade itself did. So labor was low, cost of production was high and profits were dwindling and the plantocracy's influence in Britain was also declining. Basic capitalism right here at its finest, Dr. Eric Williams, his thesis is absolutely brilliant and I agree with it 100%. There are scholars like Drescher who disagree and they support the humanitarian reason and although I support the humanitarian reason, I do firmly believe that economic reason for the end of slavery is the most significant. So yeah guys, that is basically emancipation in the British Caribbean. Right there, at nutshell, there were humanitarian reasons, religious reasons, and economic reasons for the end of slavery, after slavery ended, although there was obviously positive, positive impacts as the Black people were no longer slaves, they diversified the economy. They also struggled because the white planter class did not want them to acquire land, they did not want them to acquire education. It wasn't until um, the early 1800s when this guy, his last name is Ward, I think it's, yes, David Ward opened up ward schools to give Africans primary education that they began having access to education they didn't want them to marry they didn't want them to achieve any form of upward social mobility and they basically wanted them to remain at the bottom of the social class one more thing I want to hint on really quick because I'm about to read you guys the poem but I feel like I need to say this in order for you to understand the context of the poem was indentureship when the Indians came, basically the indentured Indians and the peasantry, who would have been the former enslaved Africans, they were basically in the same market situation. Market situation is a concept by Marx Weber, a sociologist, 
and it basically says your relationship to the means of production. So they were poor, essentially, and they were in the same level of subservience. And now, coming back here to classic Marxism, Weber and Marx, um, their view on social stratification is very similar. And in that regard, they both view capitalism as the usable evil, although um, Karl Marx takes it a little bit further with his whole revolution. Weber didn't reach the whole revolution part. And, you know, he basically didn't want the class in itself, which is the oppressed class, who is in the class, the false class consciousness, not realizing that they were being oppressed, to become a class for itself, which is where they realize that they are being oppressed and they revolt. So the white people did not want that happening with the Africans and the Indians. And they basically used divide and conquer and separated us and segregated us and spread rumors that we, the Africans, called them coolie, which is a derogatory term here in the Caribbean, and that the Indians are calling us nigger, as you can guess. And that basically fostered a lot of animosity amongst the two groups. They single-handedly pitted the Africans and the Indians against each other. And if you look at Trinidad politics, that division, that divide is still here to this day. And it's only getting worse. And then, as I was telling you, as I was telling you, as I was telling you, the... Um, the, the, sorry, something just happened, and my thoughts just wandered for a few seconds. The Africans, they were deprived of upward social mobility in basically every form of fashion, and they turned to crime. There is a Caribbean theory on crime, it's called Caribbean Criminology by Ken Price, and it looks at this um, type of proletariat called the Lumpen proletariat, which is unique to Caribbean society, in which the Africans, especially in countries like Jamaica, they were so deprived of making a life after slavery, getting an education, anything like that. They turned to crime to sustain themselves, not because they wanted to, and if they had the opportunity, they would not be criminals, but they weren't given the opportunity and they became the lumpen proletariat. And there are social inequalities in Trinidad and Tobago that exist today because even though we don't um, focus on the production of sugarcane, most of our economies are monoeconomic. You know, we don't have diversified economies and that really that whole capitalist system really continues to perpetuate the inequalities between the rich and poor. And unfortunately, Africans and Indians are still at the bottom of the social ladder. And the whites, the Syrians, the Chinese, they're at the top. And as we get more and more industrialized and these um, foundational, fundamental, basic issues that I just told you about, aren't fixed to divide and the gap is just going to widen and widen and widen. And when theorists like Ken Price, you know, they have identified the issues for us. They've laid it out for us. There's a researcher in Jamaica, Sherry Ann Gray, her research actually proves that 
one of the main reasons for crime in Jamaica, which, as you know, has a high crime rate, is because black people are denied access to legitimate means of achieving any form of money and the living, and we still choose to do nothing about it. And all of that stems back to emancipation in the British Caribbean. And I think that colonialism and capitalism are two of the most evil genius strategies the world will ever see. Because hundreds of years after colonialism has ended, we still have colonist mentality. We are still trapped to that ideology and notion of colonization. Sorry, it's hard for me to pronounce that word for some reason. We are still trapped by that, you know? And I really do believe that capitalism is just new wage slavery because we need to remember that the resources in the Caribbean were stripped by our European imperial superiors, quote-unquote. And to this day, we have not been reparated for that. That is going to be a whole other episode on reparations. I am in the process of working on that. And colonialism and capitalism really go hand in hand and it has managed to manifest itself into such an oppressive system that hundred of years after slavery we still we still fall a victim to this fight and a lot of times we don't even realize it so let me take a sip of water because this poem I have to read, not only is it a long one, but it's also a very, I need a lot of emotion and passion and I feel like the hunger that I have right now because I didn't eat breakfast yet really going to help me read this with the right amount of conviction. So <clears throat> let me get my water, <coughs> a little camera throat a little bit, <clears throat> take a sip of water. I just realized I could have just like paused the recording and just added another segment, but do it. <clears throat> One more sip. So this poem is called World War Three. I was born a slave, but nature made me a free man. That is a quote by Toussaint L'Evitoire. And I open my poem, World War Three by counteracting it with the, I was born a free man, but society made me a slave. One opens his eyes before his turn to speak. His hands ache from the cuffs that bind him and his back is moist with sweat from the blazing heat of the courtroom. He didn't bother to get a lawyer because he knows it is futile. Well, what is your defence, Mr. Philip? The judge asks in a voice that makes Quan know that she just wants to sentence him and move on with her day. He takes a deep breath. He knows what's coming, and that what he is about to say may not change anything. But still, he has to say it. 
because he's not the first and he wouldn't be the last person in this position. And perhaps if his speech impacts just one of the bystanders in court today, tomorrow it can save a black man's life. I know this is supposed to be my trial, but really it is my country's. It is a trial between true justice and the injustice that is handed out to black people like rain every single day. You think I like this? Waking up every day and having to get down on my knees and pray that today isn't the day they take me out? Fuck no. Agonizing over every detail of my plan to go in with arms and steal someone else's hard-earned money because I have to feed my family but the person I take from could be the death of me? Fuck no. Pants down, hair crazy, covered in tats, appearing lazy but really I got packets of coke tucked in my coat? Fuck no. I'm hearing you judge me. Asking me why I leave school, why I ain't learn no trade, why I wasted my life away like you actually care about my life. <sighs> Give me a break. This isn't what I wanted for myself or for my family, but it is the life that was given to me by you, ma'am, and other elite members of society. 187 years since slavery end, but the echo of it still rings through our heads, through our bones, and into our lives. Racism is so embedded in our culture that it is institutionalized. From the day Britain free we from their belly, they didn't really free we, did them just make us think so. No land for the blacks, no money for the blacks. No compassion or compensation, only new age imperialism disguised as independence and industrialization by invitation to ensure the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Tell me, ma'am, what do you think are going to happen when the inequalities between the rich and the poor continue to run from each other and the cost of living rises more and more? Are we going to sit down and wait for the government to feed us? No, we will do what we have to, to feed us. If you weren't going to stop, give us what we need. Jobs. Up next on trial is your precious education, from which I don't need validation of my smarts. In me, I have all the wisdom of my ancestors, knowledge of my rich history and celestial powers. What do you have? Self-esteem low because it's based on a piece of paper that simply proves you can regurgitate information and not think for yourself, but that's your whole world, your life. And no, I'm not being ignorant by rejecting your bullshit by paper. I went to school and I tried my best, but you didn't want someone like me there because I couldn't fit the part. I couldn't sit still because I was starving. Couldn't work at home because my younger siblings bought an icy man at the house. Truly, I was trying, but home made me lose my soul. And instead of helping me find it at school, you stole it with all your condescending lectures and comments about my being. Down to how I looked was an issue to you. 
Not once did he ask me if I got enough sleep, if I had had anything to eat, or was life treating me nothing. So after years of seeing you pander to the rich kids, turn them against me, make me feel like I was lesser than them, lesser than you. I left, and yes, I signed up to learn a trade, but lost the man talking to me like if I had no brain and I couldn't take that every day, because I may not look it. And sometimes I may not sound it, but I am very well read and capable. And if I was just given a fair chance, I would have been unstoppable. Caribbean society has become so whitewashed that nobody takes time to feel stupid. We all look trying to be something we aren't. We're not equal to Britain. We're beneath them. You think they care about we wear the reparations then? Crime is a direct product of our institutions then. Because we fashioned our society of the white people then. We think it working and we're progressing, but we're fucking ourselves up more and more because it has a myriad of problems we still ignore. They have pitted us against ourselves, so we spend our time at war. Instead of each one teach one, we practice each one beat one. The only thing that's truly going to make the Caribbean shine and reduce the crime is to pause, take a break, and reevaluate the situations we have found ourselves in. I am not a criminal here, you know. It is you. It is your bosses. It is their bosses too. Because you, with all your money and education, sleep at night knowing that our society is fractured because of slavery and oppression and nothing has been done. I swear I can't stress enough that there has not been a single opportunity given to us out of kindness and good faith that doesn't have some kind of string attached to it. You judge us for not liking your way of life and conforming to your rules, but why would we? You don't like people that look like us, that speak like us, that are like us. Don't to my religion, you're telling me that devil thing, that my culture and rituals is dark and evil and only bad things it bring. But what does that say about you? Rejecting yourself to be like somebody else and worship a god who 400 years ago enslaved you. Tell me, why would I want that? And you're calling me criminal because I don't conform to your whole Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, Jesus loved slave master too, and he just to protect him over you. He ain't my god. I tend to crime because he gave me no choice, because nothing I do will ever be good enough for you. Because from the time I am born, you take away my freedom and conscript me to a life of poverty and fatalism. When a black man has a dream, you call him a fool. When a black man is smart, you find a way to kick him out of school. When a black man has purpose, you make him feel threatened. Well, fuck that shit, because I am not here to save you. Am I proud of myself for what I have done? No. But do I regret it? Fuck no. I did what I had to do to survive so that you could keep telling yourself the lie that I am the bad guy here. So Madam Judge, before you throw me in a cell forever, let me tell you, here in your home, a war is at brew. A water will be won by the angry black man who will stop at nothing till they reclaim the freedom that God has given them. Freedom from prejudice, freedom from poverty, freedom from this one-size-fits-all mentality. I stand here today and demand liberation for my people. I call out to my brothers and sisters to stop thinking what Britain says, law, because they don't want what's best for us, they only want what's best for them. I say, this is our land and our home, and we deserve the right to benefit from the blood our ancestors shed to hold up the world. And if it isn't given to us, 
we go take it. Alright guys, that was my poem, World War Three. I hope it was good. Um I was trying my best not to speak too much in a Trini accent because I know I have international readers, but as the poem progressed and I began to write more and more in dialect, it just came out. It just happened. <laughs> it's just it and I feel like it makes it even more authentic because it's like you know, at the start, you know, he's trying to keep his composure. He's trying to at least, you know, speak quote-unquote proper English, as we call it here. You know, he is, he is, he is, he is, he really, really is. But as his anger and his resentment continues to boil, it continues to rise, he just gives in to his authentic self and to his true self. And I think that it is a beautiful message that I feel like I really need to put out there. So, um, yes, guys, this has actually been the longest episode of Color Your Life in the history of Color Your Life. Thank you so much for listening, though, and I hope you have a colorful day. Thank you for allowing me to color your life.